This is the Lights On Show. My name is Jacob Morissette. I'm an honor student at Boise State University, and this is my podcast centered around turning the lights on. I go and talk to -to day-to-day professionals to learn how they've mastered their craft. We go in-depth on the inner workings of their perspective, their process, and their strategies, all in the hopes of inspiring others. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Um, As you guys already obviously heard, we, or I, made another intro for the show. It's something I kind of whipped up. I just felt like I needed to redo, or I just needed a new um, start, switch it up a little bit from the previous intro idea type thing that I had set up. Uh, It worked just fine, but I didn't really like it too much. I like this one a lot better. I think it's a lot cleaner. Uh, It's something that is a good staple or intro um, for new listeners or for people that maybe don't know what the show is. It just kind of helps bridge the gap faster. Um, And then obviously right now, this is the right after the intro is going to be where I introduce the episode if I have any news for the podcast Um, and then kind of do my little administration stuff, I guess, in between the intro and the interview, this section. So, uh, getting right into the topic of this week's episode, I talk with Mike Daves, um, who is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, so he and I go to church together. Um, however, we don't talk that much about church stuff. We talk mainly about the ideas and the mindsets in the corporate world and kind of how his job experience has showed him a lot of light in mindsets or just the way that he goes about doing his day-to-day stuff, like what keeps him fulfilled, what makes him happy in his job, and like how he interacts with people. Um, it was really good, insightful um, episode, just helping to understand people better. Um, so I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, also, if you if you appreciate this show and it brings some value to your life, uh, please be sure to follow me on Twitter at lights underscore show and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening to on, uh, like Apple Podcasts. Uh, go to my channel and just kind of scroll down a little bit until you can rate it. Um, there's one, two, three, four, five stars. I don't know if that many other places do that. I don't know. You can't do that on Spotify, but uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating. Um, it really helps me to get feedback uh, to understand maybe some things I should or should not do or just seeing if I need to change the direction of the show, such as maybe a new intro. Um, anyways, we're just going to get right into it. All right. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. That is uh, good. So, I mean, obviously you had a busy day. So, I mean, you got your, got your uh, top button unbuttoned and... Yep. Ready to relax. Yep. All right. Well, too bad we got this. But this is going to be awesome. This is going to be a fun conversation. So, uh, everyone, this is Brother Daves, or uh, is Mike, right? Mike Daves, uh, for people that are not in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, so, how about you just introduce yourself to the audience, let them know who you are, and give them their, uh, your perspective. Yep. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, my name is Mike Daves. I am an, an, a senior account executive for a company called SAS, SAS Institute. SAS Institute is a... Uh, developer of software, um, analytics software, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, predictive analytics types of software. And what I do for SaaS is I work with some of our top retail companies in the Northwest. So our top three strategic accounts in the Northwest, I manage those accounts uh, from 
soup to nuts. So everything about them is, is my responsibility with regards to SAS. All right. That's awesome. So, um, being a member of the church, of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, um, did you go on a mission? I did. All right. So how about you kind of, uh, give some background on how that mission may have affected the man you are right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I have, uh, um, a lot of my career is based on some of the principles and in capabilities, self-awareness that I developed while I was on my mission. So specifically, there's a, a component of um, risk and fear that yeah. you can, that you overcome by going to a third world country like Ecuador, where I did, and knocking on doors, um, walking the streets in a foreign country, foreign language, foreign people, completely different culture, and learning how to adjust and adapt in that environment gave me the confidence to go into sales, to call CEOs of companies and you know executives of, of large companies. It helped me have the confidence to know that I could do that. So it's almost like you became comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's correct. So it you, is. Because um, that's really interesting. I feel like a lot of, uh, at least of youth, or at least I know I had this problem uh, starting last year, is we almost feel like we're not good enough, or we feel like, nah, they don't really want to talk to me, or we're just scared to do something, right? Like, for example, this podcast, I was pretty scared to first initially do it, but, I mean, my little experience of just, you know, grinding at it, getting started, was just able to almost kickstart me and just give me that confidence to do this, which is yeah. almost like your sales. Self-esteem is a big part of um, what you learn on and being on a mission. That mm -hmm. cer certainly is the case. Um, plus the, the risk at asset aspect of it, which is, um, you know, most of us don't have the confidence to, to get out and stretch and take chances and get out in front of ourselves where it's easy to be comfortable. It's easy to kind of follow what we're, what is the the path of least resistance and and uh uh spending time in ecuador didn't certainly wasn't comfortable and it wasn't the path of least resistance yeah so i think it's an interesting point though because obviously the the church of jesus christ only has like a couple million um you know believers or a couple million members so maybe to people that aren't uh, members, what do you suggest for them to do that they could become comfortable with the uncomfortable? What are some things that maybe you have done besides a mission that have helped you to gain a self-esteem or see that confidence in yourself? I think the things that you described just a minute ago about starting your own po po podcast is the ex exact thing that you need to do, which is um, first and foremost, take that first step, uh -huh. understand what that step is and take it. Um, a, you know, having started multiple companies, having done things like built out multiple websites uh, and helped create all kinds of things for friends and, and help them build their companies, um, you learn quickly that the first step is the hardest. And it's also the one that is the most telling about who you are and how you can be successful in that situation. It, it's almost like the first step, it shows... Yeah, it, it, like you said, it almost like defines you. Mm -hmm. uh, it shows to others what, like, what type of person you are. On, uh, I would honestly say, like, kind of like two different levels, right? You have like, if you take the first step, that's like the first step in taking the first step. But then how you deal with it too, 
you also have like the way that you go about taking the first step. Like if you go about the first step of trying to reunite, like reunite with your family, which I'm just giving an example, but, and you do it in a really bad way. You have a really poor attitude. I mean, yes, you're trying, but it's a poor attitude compared to someone that's doing it with a really good attitude. It's like the way you go about doing that first step also, I would feel like shows what kind of person you are. Just kind of a, yeah, absolutely. There's a um, a common phrase where opportunity and preparation meet. Um, that's you still have to do your preparation. You still have to do your research. You still have mm-hmm. to um, be prepared for that moment and uh, and continue to create opportunities for yourself. and And then it really starts to evolve or um, grow when you find that that great opportunity um that blend of that skill that you have and that what the need is for that particular organization or or situation absolutely um so obviously after talking about the mission i want to talk about your schooling what type of first step did you take in your schooling what what did you what did you what did you what was your mindset when you first got into school like did you want to go into sales or um like, yeah, just kind of give me a rundown on that. Yeah, interesting. I started out wanting to be an engineer, an electrical engineer. <laughs> Look at that. My first uh, set of classes were um, calculus and, and uh, engineering. And Ugh. and uh, there were some challenges there, for sure. Um, quickly, and, and realized that I had a, a knack for communication, for um, engaging with people. And that wasn't necessarily the way that most of my engineering colleagues or schoolmates were. They weren't like that. So um, it became apparent probably in that first uh, six months, first semester, second semester, where I noticed there was something different. And so I I shifted to economy and then into business management. All right. So then um, after that, what kind of challenges did you face while in college that maybe um, help you, help you grow into that. Also, what college did you go to? Brigham Young. Went to, uh, so you went to BYU? Yeah. Rick's college and then to Brigham Young, um, in Provo. Okay, cool. Um, so while you were doing that program, did you notice any things that really kind of slapped you in the face or kind of woke you up while you're taking your, uh, your sales class or your economic classes or your bit, your business management classes? Yeah. Um, the difficulty of it. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done is to 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 take these classes and and excel in them. Um, the there is a um, a cadence and a, uh, a and a learning environment that you know every every college provides, but um, school was harder than I thought. I, I it was pretty easy for me in high school. Yeah, high and getting to college. Uh, was completely different. It was a level of investment that I wasn't anticipating. So, uh, and so it it required me to kind of hunker down every semester and learn and learn and learn and teach and you know uh, teach myself how to learn new ways of of, of studying um, to kind of keep up and and do well there. So, so are you saying that it was more like the environment of this of college is more difficult? You're saying like the literal classes that you were taking. Uh, were very hard and in, in yeah, I'm specifically talking about the classes that I took okay, were yeah. pretty hard. The environment is not con- conducive at all for study. Mm. I mean, you've got 
places to go every single day, every single night. You've got lots and lots of activities. It's easy to get lost in sports or um, exercise or um, work or any and everything social uh, yeah. aspect of college. Especially at a huge D1 school like BYU. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was every single day there was something you could be doing uh, mm-hmm. that isn't schoolwork. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of you talked about bunkering down and really getting into your studies. Um, specifically, what what were you doing in order to break in your study, ha- like your study habits? Like, did you have a schedule? Did you have programs that you would put in place for yourself in order to keep yourself on track? Uh, kind of give me the breakdown on that. Yeah, um, I, I learned pretty quickly that um, I didn't have the discipline to kind of fend off all the questions and, hey, let's go do something. Yeah. Social no. or go play sports. Let's go play hoops or whatever the case is. And so, um, I uh, I would stay at the library. I would stay at the school and do my studies there. And when I'd get back to the apartment, that's when I could you know relax and go hang out. So so it's almost like what you're saying is you set up a study room like like you set up a safe zone, which is the library for right. you to bunker down, get it done. And that was almost like a mental switch for you. Like, okay, I'm here. That's it. And then you went back to the apartment or you do something else. And that's your release. That's correct. Yep. Yep. I I notice a lot of that in me right now because I'm taking, I was, I mean, school year's almost over, but uh, classes such as AP chemistry or AP gov or pre-calc, they take a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. And I noticed myself uh, doing the same really bunkering down like I wouldn't turn on basically but mine was like turning on my computer uh instead of doing homework on my computer I'd only do on my iPad because my computer means I can play games so it's like I would move all my all my gaming stuff off my desk and bunker down get it done and then as soon as I was done I could put everything back and that was I was in the clear there are quite a few more distractions nowadays um back but when I was in school it was you know it was different we didn't have the yeah the access to the internet and, and uh, a lot of the um, devices that you have now, which is certainly extremely distracting. It's extracting for me, distracting for me right now. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I found myself deleting all my social media sites except for this podcast one. Mm-hmm. And even then I have my notifications for Twitter turned off, uh, but everything else I've had to get rid of. And I have my iPad and my phone on a constant state of do not disturb. Yep. So that, that's, no, that's just good. something that I've had to do. You've taken some good steps there. I've seen, uh, um, if you look at the world today where um, messages are, are prevalent, where if you can, in a normal day, I'll get you know 150 to 200 emails. That's um, crazy. A crazy amount of, of notices from social media, from all of the things that I've subscribed to. And um, having to shut that down, focus is is one of the key disciplines that I learned in college. It's, yeah, these, you know, learning how to prioritize, learning to make sure that you get the right thing done each day because we can all stay busy with, you know, trivial types. Yeah, like emails and replying to, uh, like a lot of people in the corporate industry, nine to five kind of basic knowledge worker type people, they really get caught up in this, oh, I'm being productive and all they're doing is answering emails. Mm -hmm. Um. And there's a book called Deep Work uh, by Cal Newport. Uh, I've suggested this on the podcast multiple times, but uh, for those who haven't listened to it, it's it's a type of book that talks exactly about that. It it goes in depth in 
what a good email is, what a bad email is, how to differentiate between them, how to create good emails, how to be ultra efficient and get in this deep work kind of psychological um, focus. So I'd actually, if you end up, if I don't, yeah, you said you like audiobooks. If you um, end up getting uh, the ability to listen to deep work, I highly recommend it. It's I, a good recommendation. I'll, I'll take, I'll listen to that. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. Cal Newport is this crazy computer scientist, um, who I think he works for like Georgetown university somewhere on the East coast. Amazing. I, that, that's where all my self-discipline with distractions have come from, from good. that book. Um, good. So I'll check it out. Absolutely recommend it. Um, but I don't remember what we we're talking about. So, uh, after the university, there you um, go. Yep. so I, Started my career in hotel management. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Uh, it, uh, I realized pretty quickly that there's no way to have a family and a normal life in hotel management. Yeah. Isn't it just crazy all the time? Yeah. 24 seven, seven days a week. Yeah. That's it not was, good. it was tough. And, um, so I decided to, um, I decided on it that I was going to change my career but had no idea what I was going to go into. And the, so I went to the library of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and read a Forbes magazine article about what are the best jobs for the 90s. That's crazy. So this was January of 1993. And, um, and number seven on the list was software sales. Yep, there you go. That was one of the highest growth areas for the 90s. And so um, I went in that day, um, quit my job. That day? That day. Went and bought a computer, bought a computer programming book, and started teaching myself how to to write code. That's awesome. I then enrolled um, at BYU for their computer programming um, um, degree and started taking classes. I moved to Utah from North Carolina, started taking classes that summer. That's awesome. And uh, um, started networking, started back then WordPerfect was a pretty big corporation based there in Utah mm-hmm. and uh, went in and met with the VP of sales, told him what I wanted to do. And he recommended that I start with a, uh, a startup and uh, work my way up within that organization. So within a couple of weeks, I had found a company called Folio based in Provo, Utah, mm. and got on board with them and started my technology career back in, what was that, 94. Jeez, that's yeah. back in the day. How old are you? 54. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, you're almost, you're almost eligible for ARP. <laughs> Thanks for that reminder. $2 uh <laughs> What are they? It's like two dollar grand slam at Denny's. <laughs> there you go. That's cash. Yeah. <laughs> that's embarrassing, um, <laughs> but the truth. Yeah. Hey, but you're you're looking great for fifty four. Yep. Thank you. The, the the gray hair is compliment. Yeah. There you go. Because you you have a kind of a, a kind of a, of a tanner complexion, uh, so the gray hair like almost makes it pop more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well. Good. It's okay. A A R P. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I only mentioned that because in our AP Gov class, we talked a lot about interest groups and we talked mm-hmm. about the power of ARP 
and my AP Gov teacher is 55, and he was like, I'm part of ARB. I get $2 <laughs> Denny's. And we're just like, oh, Darby, please shut up. I, I need to look into Denny's. I, I didn't realize that yeah. you got discounts like that. It's crazy. $2 for a Grand Slam? I think it's like normally 8 bucks. Yeah, That's I awesome. can do that. Um, Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess back onto the uh, main train of this, but um, describe like your kind of job schedule. Like not like... But, like, what are your technical office hours? Like, you travel a lot, obviously, um, but you still kind of are in that corporate industry um, with, like, a common stigma of, like, oh, the corporate ladder, the 9-to-5 job, or just the knowledge worker type job. Um, and a knowledge worker type job, I mean, like, you, you aren't physically creating something. So it's all more knowledge-based. Like, you're you're being paid for your brain really specifically, like, like exactly what you do like sales or um, finances or even like HR that's a knowledge type worker so being that you're part of that um, and since and since there's a huge stigma out that like those knowledge worker jobs they're boring lackluster they cause unneeded stress Uh, a lot of people tend to become obese while working them they get depression Um, you know their, their family life struggles how do you manage to say so healthy or at least so visibly healthy from an outsider's perspective like myself. And so like, um, examples could be like, there's quite a, quite a bit packed into that, that comment and question. So first of all, as a knowledge worker, um, the, I get that. I, I see it as my role is different. Um, in that, um, I'm not nine to five. I travel. I am, you know, probably 40 to 45 weeks out of the year I'm on the road. Um, That's crazy. I'm with customers, you know, every week I'm, I work on, you know, with an East East coast based company. So I spend a lot of time early in the morning. Like I have comfort calls that start tomorrow morning at 5 AM. And, and I have to blend the customer with the internal, um, aspects of all the meetings supporting that. So, um, my world is quite a bit more exciting than uh, a desk job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I don't necessarily fall into that same category. Now there is a, a certain, um, aspect of what you're describing, which is that lack of creativity, the lack of, um, you know, there, there is a somewhat of a grind to, to my work which is repetitive. It's, you know, there isn't the, the aspect of creating something new. Um, yeah. I gain a lot of, um, I gain a lot of motivation, uh, inspiration by working and solving different customer problems. So for example, um, just this week we were working on a, an initiative at a customer of mine Called vo- and the initiative is called Voice of the Customer, where they want to be able to go in and look at all of the customer interactions with that company, with their company, and identify where there's friction, where the customer has problems with returns or with um, the fit of their products or with how they interact with customer service. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to identify that. And this is a... And this is all like software based, right? Like, this is all has, software okay, based. Yeah. So what we're doing, what we've proposed is artificial intelligence to be able to um, identify where in that customer journey 
uh, a customer has friction, a customer has problems, and how this company can improve that experience so that it's it's flawless, seamless, very um, and and meets the customer expectation. So that's just this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I see those same things every single week. Um, for example, um, solving risk challenges for a bank for one of my customers or solving fraud every time somebody uses that that company's credit card um, they have to determine whether that's a fraudulent transaction or not yeah so my world is really across many different industries um, different technologies and and solving all these different types of problems for these large companies and so it's quite a bit exciting, quite a bit more than mm. nine to five, repetitive, yeah. doing the same thing over and over. That's a little bit different in my world. Well, and I would also kind of mention that maybe you've, like, that's kind of like the way your brain works, too. Maybe you're also the type of person where you don't allow a physical thing to mean that you're being productive. Like, you do, and I, I see this in myself a little bit, um, but, like, you do take that, you solving the problem as your creative work like you make it creative exactly and so it's kind of a mental state that you've given yourself to pull excitement and joy from that yeah and and i think so there's there's a an aspect of what i do i get a lot of satisfaction and and motivation from um solving customer problems yeah but that's just me personally yeah yeah, absolutely that's how that's how i'm made up um if it for example I believe it was last week I had no customer facing meetings and, and I was ready to, it was difficult for me last week. It was a rough week. It was a rough week. Um, but this week having probably four or five different customer meetings, um, changes everything. Now I'm excited. Now I'm, yeah, you're I'm, pumped. You're getting I'm you ready. Pumped. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So that's, yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. My motivation is, is focused around customers yeah. and engagement and solving customer problems. That's really awesome. And um, I think this may go without saying, but like if you sense someone or if, if someone senses that they feel like they're almost in an endless trap of like they can't find um, you know joy or they can't find the good of the stuff they're creating because everyone likes to feel appreciated. Like even if you hate your job, you still like to know, hey, I'm making this person money or hey, I'm doing this like – if you're working at a pizza place, you're like, I made that pizza right there. I'm helping the team, sure. right? People like to feel like they're doing good. Pride, pride yeah, and yeah, ownership. Yeah, like a pride and ownership. So yeah. if someone isn't feeling that in a nine-to-five job, what do you think they can do to maybe change that? Um, both it, it could be literal physically or it could be mentally. Just kind of what's your first initial thought on that? My first thought is um, that – the mental approach to your job should be spot on. Like just switch your attitude, like just try to focus on switching your attitude around. Um, more than that, you okay. are a contributor. You are delivering some value to the company. Yeah. Understand what that is. Make sure that you're focused on that. And if that's not, if you're not interested in, in, in that aspect of do what your you life, did in the nineties. Yeah. Switch it up. Yep. Um, I would always recommend, trying to find something internally within that organization um, first before looking outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to look outside and find jobs that appear better, that um, seem 
like they have more to offer. And the reality is, is every company has as good, has pros and cons, <clears throat> good and bad ways of dealing with things. And so um, you may give up a set of problems for a new set of problems. Yeah. And so uh, always try to figure out how to be successful within the organization that you are in and be happy. Yeah. Get that fulfillment that you're looking for. And, and you mentioned how every company deals with their own thing separately and you switch one set of problems to another set of problems. Um, but it's almost like, it's kind of like with, with finding a spouse, right? Like you have to make trade-offs, but it's whatever one you can deal with the best is the better option. Cause possibly, yeah, you, you've met my wife. I didn't make any trade-offs. So, Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> and, and you know, everyone's different and I'm really, you know, that's awesome that you guys are able to do that. I just remember hearing that, uh, one time and I think it was like a combined activity or something like that. Yep. It's like, but yeah, the same thing with like the companies though, it's, um, you just, you have to be able to, I guess, agree to disagree better with the problem that you may not like, uh, yeah. So agreed. That's, that's a good point. One of the, um, one of the lessons that I've learned over the last five years is being able to take, um, recommendations criticism is Mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as um as criticism and that had always been hard for me because of the 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 preparation the amount of energy the amount of thought that i've put into all the decisions that i do about my my customers and for someone to come along and 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 say that i should do things different always came across as you know as if it came across as I came across and, and somewhat defended my position. Yeah. Here's why I did that, where um, I read an article in one of these trying to always improve. I read an article that if someone's going to take the time to provide feedback and recommendation, they're investing in yeah. your success. They're taking and looking at ways that they think that you can be improved. And you should always welcome that feedback. You should always yeah. want that constructive criticism and recommendations. And so that has opened up quite a bit for me where I had always been somewhat stubborn, wanted to do things my way. Mm-hmm. I've done this you know, for so many years that you know, I, I felt like that I knew my customers best and knew what they needed best. But ever since kind of shaking this, um, this new approach, has opened all kinds of doors for me, all kinds of opportunities have come up. And I do recognize the value that other people or the ideas that other people bring to the table that, um, that maybe before I wasn't quite as open to. Um, so I'd like to kind of hit on that point more specifically about the criticism, because there's a lot of criticism out there, right? We have good and bad at criticism. Uh, you mentioned how it's important to, uh, you mentioned how it's important to, be able to take the criticism and acknowledge it, but there's good and bad criticism. So, uh, like if someone just tells you, you suck, that's mm-hmm. not, I would say that's more of a criticism that you should ignore versus like an event. Like what's the difference between an invested criticism and a non-invested criticism that you shouldn't listen to? Like kind of give your thoughts on the criticism that we should take and that we should embrace and, and value versus like me telling you, you suck. Yeah. Any character assaults should not be, you know, what you're describing as a character assault versus, um, some type of constructive criticism. 
Um, but it's not as simple as that. Uh, no one in the professional business is going to come in and tell you that you suck. Um, yeah, I hope The not. world that we live in is much more mature, much more um, advanced than that. So um, within the levels of criticism about your business, sometimes it's hard to take that um, and and appreciate what they have. So what I've I always go through a, a series of steps. Almost like a checklist that you have? A checklist that I have, which um, first, I try to understand the context of who's giving that, that feedback. Yeah. Um, what is their objective? Um, what are they looking to tr- accomplish with that, that feedback? And then how can that pro- improve the situation? And are there other ideas that we should explore? So I listen. I repeat it back to them. I explain my understanding um, my point of view, my perspective, and then we talk through that. And ultimately, I have the control over making the decision of what's yeah, best. Absolutely. Um, and I always want to acknowledge and rec- recognize people for being involved and being invested and trying to take the time to help you know us be successful with our customers. And I don't delineate what's good and what's bad. I just go through the process of deciding whether or not that's going to be a good fit at this time mm-hmm. and if it's going to add value or not. And if it does and it and it's the, the timing is right, then absolutely, no matter you know what it takes, we, we make that investment, we make those changes, and we start going down that path. Uh, I really love that because being someone who is creating something, right, like uh, I'm creating this podcast, I'm going to be uh, creating code in the future. I'm going to have to accept a lot of criticism. So I'm actually going to personally, I think that's a really awesome, your little checklist uh, that you have. Sure. Um, Absolutely. So maybe as, um, would you say that you are the type of person that also will give criticism? So you can receive criticism, but are you the type of person that is also going to give criticism? Because I have a follow-up question after that. Yeah, criticism has a a negative connotation, whereas um, I prefer perspectives, yeah, I have a different view, different perspective, um, coaching, mm-hmm. um, considering different paths, different avenues. Really, it, it, I try hard not to criticize. I'm always trying to find other ways, different ways, and then working together to decide whether or not it makes sense in the situation. Yeah. Um, um, so the to answer your question is uh, absolutely um, every single day. Every conversation, there's feedback. There's different points mm-hmm. of view that I provide. There's um, maybe different perspectives, different ideas to be considered, and um, and that can sometimes come across as criticism. Yeah. But more than anything, it's constructive feedback. It's exploring what is a better path and what is the the best path. So then, the follow up on that is, how do you deal with someone who's not willing to at least listen to what you have to say? So you five years ago, how you said you would get defensive or uh, your mental state was just more defensive. How do you deal with someone if you're trying to input your perspective that's acting like that? Or not how do you deal with it, but how do you work around it? How do you still try to give the problem or the customer the best that you have to offer or that, mm-hmm. that yeah. you, the best outcome, even though the partner you may be working with is stubborn? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I don't know that I have the the best answer. Um, I would, I I run across that all the time, mm-hmm. um, on a weekly basis. Run into, and it's, you know, stubborn is also has negative connotation. But yeah, people who have had experiences that would 
indicate that would be contradict what I'm recommending. Yeah. Or their life, um, their skill sets doesn't don't complement what ideas I'm bringing to the table. So it isn't you know very few people are stubborn. Very few people are just going to resist and and say no. However, almost everybody has a very strong opinion about their business. They spent their life their life's work um, determining or coming to the conclusions that they have. So um, it isn't a matter of someone being stubborn. It's a matter of that they don't see the same way that you do. So what I like to do is take a different approach, um, recognizing them for their ideas, their approaches, um, their experience, talk through where they've seen that type of thing, that type of an approach fail or succeed, and then come back with maybe a different idea. Um, I, by no means are we in a position to mandate or dictate. Um, we have to be in the world of persuasion of, yeah. of engagement and ex- exploration, um, different points of view. Ultimately they own their business and they have to be responsible for that. And, um, I think it's important to hold them accountable for if mm-hmm. that's the decision that they want to go down, which is fine. I don't have a problem with, you know, contradicting ideas. In fact, I welcome it. I often start conversations with, if you're not challenging me, then I'm not improving. We're not improving as an organization. So we have to be challenged. We have to improve every, every chance we get. (laughs) Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, because like sometimes we like, it's like the same thing with the path of least resistance. Sometimes we get like this little niche of no resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're just kind of get stuck. Yeah, uh, I actually th- I think that may answer the question I had before. How do we find passion in the things that we want to? Or how do we get out of that common nine to five stigma of crappy job? It's almost like just trying to challenge yourself. Yeah, and and that will do something. It yeah, will... I think it's important to challenge yourself. Um, one of the things that I we sometimes get caught up in is. Um, being stagnant in our own professional. Yeah. We think that we get done with college, we learn our new jobs, and that's it. Call um, good. Yeah. And the reality is, is you have to learn every day. You have to improve, find, identify your weaknesses and improve those um, as well as continue to evolve and, and grow. Even within sales, um, I spend um, a significant amount of my time trying to improve my knowledge of my business from a technical perspective, as well as from a professional communication engagement leadership perspective. Yeah. And that is, uh, that's not easy. No, it's a lot of work. It's cause it's, and it's constant. You're yeah. meeting with new customers every week. You're, um, talking with, with different people from different States all the time. Like you're always having to constantly, uh, adapt, readapt, and then react all the time. That's it. Exactly. And, <clears throat> I'm an old dog teaching me new tricks. That's not easy. So. Yeah, sometimes it gets a little tough. You get a little burnout. Yeah. So, yep, I, I have the attitude that and of um, teaching at, as often as I can, um, whether that's through audiobooks or whether that's through um, company podcasts, whether that's learning a new technology. Yeah. All of those types of things, I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself to, to grasp new concepts understand new ways of thinking. Um, I'm reading a book called thinking fast, thinking fast and slow. It has helped me understand that 
maybe I've made poor reactive decisions in the past, that my intuition isn't as good as it has been or it should be. Yeah. That naturally I have, uh, I've allowed my instincts rather than my analytical brain to make decisions. And, and so that's an area that I'm improving now that I'm working on. That's, uh, that's really awesome. So, um, how can you see people getting started in the industry that you're in? Like what are some simple steps or just steps in general to, um, get to maybe like the level that you're at that in, in, in a company or just like, how can people get, I mean, I think we may have like kind of fluttered through some of the, some of this answer in the questions we had, but like, sure. But you are the, you know, like you're the, the sales guy, you're the, the director of your sales team or whatever. Um, like how can people get to that spot or be in a spot where they feel fulfilled like you would? Yeah. So there's a couple of answers to that. And, um, first is you, there's two parts of my business. Um, the technical computer stuff, the computer, the computer science part of it, as well as the professional, um, sales, um, aspect of it. And, and so on the technical side, I learned early on that, um, um, blending technical with business is not easy. Yeah, that's a, a unique combination of skills that that uh, is harder to learn and, and develop than traditional types of uh, cells and as well as uh, evolving in your profession. So I set some goals early on um, that for me, the pinnacle of my career would be to be at the highest level um, selling at executive levels within large organization where I make a significant impact in their business. So transformative initiatives, aligning my organization to those companies' transformative um, um, opportunities within those companies. And and so it required that I learn how to communicate, see the world through those executive lenses. It's like having a... Um, understanding how a particular technology could impact things like margin, things like, you know, total revenue, um, things like, um, you know, different aspects of the, you know, average selling price and those things that retailers are mostly focused on those key uh, performance indicators. And so aligning my disciplining myself to think in that way and communicate in that way has been um, one of the most critical parts of um, growing and improving the technical aspect is just a personal desire and, and natural aptitude is I like the technology I study it and I enjoy it and I have more interest in the technology than I do the actual cells so yeah that was just a personal thing that comes a little bit easier for me than most yeah um, absolutely so um, so you had asked how to start off in this and yeah. that's the probably the biggest question. Um, and the advice that it was given me back in 1994, back in the day, back in the day was to find a fast growing company and 
start at the ground level and work your way up. Try to grow with them. Try to grow with them. Starting with a smaller company gives you opportunity for growth. So you can try new things. You can try customer support. You can try sales, answering phone. Um, you can try the technical aspect of it. You can try being a developer. You can try all of the different aspects in a smaller company that you typically wouldn't get in a yeah. larger software company. It's like it's less structured because like a company less that you structured. work for now, you get a job, you work there. That's it. Um, because they're so already cut, clean, finished. Like they know what they're doing. They know how to do it. That's it, done. Uh, but like you said, when you work for a smaller company, they need all the hands they can get. And you're just moving around. You're trying new things. And yeah, definitely. Um, any last thoughts? on that question or good? No, I think you're good. All right. You got it. Um, so now we're going to kind of get into the closing aspect of this, uh, podcast. So for this episode, um, so these are quick questions, not necessarily quick answers. Uh, you can answer them however you want. Um, typically people will expand on them, uh, cause they're pretty open ended, but who slash what inspires you the most? There's two key people that have inspired me. Um, Henry Hylison. Who is that? Henry was an Harvard MBA um, CEO of the first company I worked for. Oh, really? Crazy. And he took me under his wing and taught me what he knew about sales and customer engagement. Yeah. He was at the twilight of his career and had, uh, had moved to Utah to retire uh, but had the opportunity to, to kind of help this young company grow and develop. And he brought me in, taught me quite a bit about sales and, and success and, and managing a business. He was also a former executive at some of the largest Fortune 500 companies uh, in the world. And the opportunity for me to sit down with and work for him for three or four years was remarkable yeah i i i studied how he wrote letters i studied how he communicated with customers you were on the grind i studied his i even copied his notebooks copy his, his notebooks not copy his notebooks i used the type of notebook that oh, okay. he used. Yeah, yeah, yeah like you would his, like follow like his structure of his notes his structure stuff. how he took notes um and that has set a a structure for me throughout my whole career now some of those things weren't important um, but the things that were high customer focus, customers always right, digging in, solving customer problems. Those were the things that really helped me. Yeah. Um, real quick though, like, what do you mean by customer focus? Like just being focused on the customer and like that whole idea, like the customer is right. It's like, is it, is it, is it like a literal definition or does it have like a slightly, um, under the table kind of, uh, meaning? Yeah, there's a good distinction there. That's correct. Um, in general, um, if you work for a company, your job is to represent that company. Yeah. To, and that company's should, your responsibility is to protect that company, do the best for that company, and to uh, maximize the gain or benefit for the company you work for. Um, Henry's perspective was that you needed to focus on the customer, that the customer's perspective, the customer's needs, the customer's um, success 
was forefront. And as a result of that, your company would be successful. Oh, okay. So a slightly different perspective of, yes, make the com- customer happy, do what's right for them, but also... It's almost like doing that will allow the company to grow. Right. Or allow, it will represent the company yeah. in that mature way that you... A rising just, tide lifts all boats. Yeah. It's that approach. Okay, cool. I just wanted to double check on that. And then you said you had another person. Uh, my dad. Your dad. My dad was a risk taker. My dad did things that were incredible. He'd go in and meet with chiefs of state for um, large companies, for chief of states for for countries mm-hmm. um, like in Africa and set up um, you know mining deals with these companies. So he was a huge risk taker that that taught me to kind of be bold, taught me to um, to 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 try Take what uh, you new want. things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really awesome. So he would just like go out, but what's up, dude? My name's uh, James. Uh, yeah, you're like, yeah, my name's James. What's popping? And he just like he just no fear, no fear. That's awesome. He would he'd get translators on the phone. He would he'd make it happen. He'd call presidents. I mean, he'd call you know CEOs. He he had no no fear at all. Yeah, and and you know living around that and having that as a, a teacher, I can see that being huge. Yeah, it was helpful. I can definitely see that, or at least just from the stories I've heard, you see that boldness and even the career you're doing right now where you're just making it happen. You're talking to these customers, you're you're flying out, you're doing these conference calls, like you're just doing it. You're getting every, it done. Every day. Every day. That's really awesome. So um this is the second one. So what's one short term thing that you would invite the people listening to do before they go to bed tonight? So like it could be like a short term um Kind of like a yeah, like a one day, couple hour thing, or just like a small thing, small commitment that you would invite them to do. Yeah, that's a interesting question. I would um, I would recommend meditation, mm-hmm. taking half an hour a day to clear your schedule, clear your mind, to um, eliminate messages social media screens yeah everything that goes on around us and then ground yourself in who you are really understand and take that time to to refocus and to um become that that person that you are yeah and and that's so important because like we are who we are and like we need to know that like before yeah. i feel like before we do anything we have to know who we are, what we are, what we can do um, before we go try to be someone else or before we try to go put ourselves out there. It's like, it's, yeah. you're right. It's so easy to get wrapped up in get lost. different things and, and lose your identity or become someone that isn't who you intended to be. Yeah, that maybe you're not proud of. Um, yeah. So I would say like, yeah, that meditation every day can help you stay grounded so you don't get lost. Um, in the, I would call it more like a rat race of, yeah, that's of the exactly corporate right. world. Um, that happens it a lot. It is a bit of a grind. Next one. What is one long-term thing you would invite them to do? So maybe it's a book. Maybe it's like a week-long challenge. Um, something that's a little bit more um, – you need to invest a little bit more to do. Well, the thing that, that has been the most helpful for me is stop listening to – radio, TV, and listening to audiobooks or 
um, books to, and they're not necessarily self-help books, but to help expand your perspective, almost help expand my perspective, learn about things like um, new technologies, learn about new ways of, of doing business, um, learn about uh, new industries and new capabilities and, you know, any and everything around like geology is far off and f- as different that that is from my career. Yeah. It helps me think differently about solving problems. Um, NASA, the the work that, you know, all the different Elon Musk is doing. That was one of the most inspirational books I've read was his uh, biography. Oh, for real? Yeah. Fascinating. That's how awesome. when he was a, a kid, a teenager, started having the vision of things that are he's developing now. Um, a lot of those things... So continue to expand your, your, your view, your, um, skills and continue to invest in yourself. My recommendation, something I've always taught my kids and people around me is that you always need to invest in yourself, whether that's new classes, new, new, new books or new techniques, uh, new technologies, always invest in yourself and, uh, and opportunities will come to you. Absolutely. That's uh, really awesome. I would I would not tell okay, so I'm gonna take this opportunity real quick. We talk about listening to audiobooks, I'm gonna take a little missionary moment. You can also download the Gospel Library app, which is the uh, an app the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints uses. Uh, and you guys can listen to conference talks. Um not only are they spiritual and they help you to understand our faith, but they also um a lot of the things that they talk about in general can be applied to real life stuff anyway. So that's also another recommendation I would put out there. Absolutely. Uh, That's they're a, fantastic. a great idea. Yeah. Um, any, um, but anything else you would like to add before we high five to close off the, I'm going to start a new thing. I'm going to high five everyone at the end and it's almost like a, okay, we're done. Um, but anything you'd like to add or say before we do the closing ceremony? Uh, yeah, I think, um, maybe, a, a call out to, to you. Um, it's remarkable to see the progress that you've made over the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah. You have changed from, and starting with attitude, mm-hmm. starting with focus and direction, uh, those things have, I've seen a, a 180 change in your attitude and your approach to life and your zeal and zest for kind of that drive of accomplishing things and that's remarkable and it, and it's inspirational to me. So I, I, I appreciate that. And I want you to know that not only has, have you made those changes in yourself, but it's affecting others like me. Well, I, uh, I do really appreciate that. That's something that I, I really have been uh, working on, like you said, when um, not only personally, but spiritually, um, yeah. you know, that's been a huge thing that I've gone through. If listeners, they've listened to other episodes, they know that too. Uh, I've had a huge spiritual shift and uh, just, I mean, this is the best school year I've ever had. I went from doing basic classes and getting A's and B's, well, B minuses and like half B minuses, half A's, whatever, to this year I'm taking three college courses. I'm doing tons of deck and stuff. I still have a podcast and I have a 4.0 for That's this great. for this year. It shows in, in so. everything about you. So, Well, I really appreciate that, man. It, you know, absolutely. I I would also, and that's part of the reason why I want you in my Mechanic Priesthood Circle is because you have 
also brought a lot of inspiration to me. So, you know, it's kind of a two way street there, but it's really awesome too. Excellent. Glad to, glad to be there for yeah. you. There we go. All right. High five. That, that was it. And, uh, we're closing out.